Hello and welcome to E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. So welcome back to the podcast, guys. We have Bo Jesperson with The Breathable Home back on. He was on a while ago uh, talking about heat pumps, I think, and I wanted to have him come back on and talk about ventilation and indoor air quality because as everybody knows, this is a hot topic that we've talked about a lot recently, something that um, Bo has been doing with me for for quite a while. Um, Someone asked me about ventilation systems and I said, yep, we're pretty much doing them as a rule of thumb moving forward with all of our high performance houses. It's really important to create healthy buildings. And so I wanted to invite Bo to come back and talk with us. So welcome Bo, tell us what you've been up to. Thank you, Emily. Um, Right now we're just like everybody else, we're doing trying to keep up with uh, with a lot of the work that's coming our way. A lot of the excitement, or let's say the interest has been not only in what we typically offer, which is a lot of insulation and air sealing, but also indoor air quality, filtration, uh, purification. I can't recall ever getting as many comments or con- uh, questions about the type of filtration I can offer somebody. It used to be that just offering any type of filtration would be sufficient, but more and more people have required uh, deeper uh, spec sheets, for example, on exactly how small of a micron our systems can capture. Um, you know, this mainly due to the COVID situation. So, so a lot more HEPA filtration. Uh, so we've had to just go with the times and make sure that the units that we supply uh, have the options for higher filtration if the homeowner wants it. and. Um, And I think like you may have mentioned, you know, we're doing more for indoor air quality. You know, sometimes we, we like everyone else, you want to know what the air, what's in the air that you're breathing. And uh, this doesn't relate to COVID precisely, but certainly just to VOCs, uh, any toxins or, uh, you know, issues, contaminants that could be in the air. So we started offering that in addition to the filtration to see not only for our own sake, what are some of the differences before and after one of these units is installed? But also, are there problems in the beginning? You know, it might not be worth doing a deep, heavy filtration system, air purification, if in fact the air already is considered safe and considered reasonable. So better to know that when you go into something um, than just guessing. Yeah. So that comes up a lot. And actually, I've gotten those questions a lot more recently is how, uh, to what standard do you design to for healthy indoor air quality, right? And so, you know, a lot of us follow the ASHRAE standard as, you know, mm-hmm. minimum required ventilation. And some of that is at a certain point, you know, like if you're infiltration of your house, so in high performance houses, the infiltration is really low. So you need to provide mechanical ventilation to get to those air quality testing. Um, but interestingly enough, I feel like during this whole COVID situation, we're people are working from home, we're using our houses more like office buildings and less like homes, you know, where you used to leave and the house was leaky enough and it exchanged enough air while you were gone that maybe it got rid of some of the toxins that were there. Well, now we don't leave at all, right? We're we're home all the time. We're cooking more at home. We're we're breathing, which is carbon dioxide and moisture in the air. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we all know that moisture and relative humidity and mold and whatever. And so I wonder if we're going to start seeing more with retrofits in 
houses in existing houses that maybe even have leaky infiltration rates because we're changing the dynamics from traditional home ventilation like what's healthy for an occupant who's home for eight to 12 hours a day to mm -hmm. what's healthy for an occupant who's home 24 hours a day and um the sort of sad fact that we used to say we spend 90 percent of our time indoors but that's actually spending three hours a day outside and I can tell you right now, I'm not spending three hours a day outside. So the reality is it's probably more like 95 to 99%. So anyway, back to my original before I totally went off on a tangent there was, you know, what design standard do you guys work with when you're trying to size a ventilation system for a house? And then with that, now that people are asking for bigger HEPA filtration or more HEPA filtration, how much more do you have to upsize the system to handle the reduction in airflow? Uh, great questions. Uh, let me see if I can parse that out. So the first one that we use is certainly the ASHRAE standard. And uh, a, a, an organization started by two people I know, Rick Karg and Charlie Holly, have done what I think is, is, is the easiest, simplest way to assure you're meeting the minimum required ventilation standard. And they have a company and a free online tool called RED, R-E-D, CALC, for, stands for Residential Energy Dynamics. Uh, so we have really, they've made that so simple, it's hard not to use something like that. And then you can provide a report to a homeowner or just have for our own files. And they, you know, it's really just drop-down boxes. How big is the home? Is it detached from a garage? Uh, you know, what area are we using for weather data? how many bedrooms um, and what we anticipate the blower door number to be if the home is just being built or if it's already existing we can put that number in and that can then tell us basically what that minimum required ventilation rate should be so we want to we want to make sure we never go below that and then after that it's really going to be dependent on the homeowner um, for example in in this day and age a lot of people are using the ERV or HRV, the balanced ventilation uh, option, and we're then focusing on: Are we just in, are we just ventilating the living space, or are we also being responsible for the exhaust in the bathrooms, uh, basements, and things like that? So then we're going to want to upsize the system to accommodate whatever they want to do. Maybe they don't have a finished basement now, but they'll want one in the future. So we want to make sure we are treating an even an unfinished, unconditioned basement as something that will soon to be conditioned. Um, so we wanna, so you get the, the basic number from, from Red Calc or using the ASHRAE standard. And then from there you are, uh, you know, crafting something that's gonna be applicable and best used by the homeowner. Um, after that, then it's a question of, uh, you know, what kind of filtration does the, does the homeowner want? And actually, let me take one step back. We have found we're, we're always going to the higher size, never the smaller size. So if we're right in the middle of between a, a 140 TE or a 200 or a 180, we're always going to opt for or recommend they go for the larger size. Even if we're not doing the bathrooms or you know uh, they, they wanna use extra uh, exhaust in a kitchen or something, it's nice to have the firepower if we need it. If we need the CFM, even if that homeowner doesn't need it, maybe the next one will. Um, and more people are living in the house than maybe it was originally designed for. We'd rather have more ventilation potential than too little. So we've learned that one the hard way. 
And uh, so that's been a, a good rule of thumb that's helped us since then. And um, so back to when we are talking about filtration, then you're right. There's only so many systems made that allow for HEPA filtration because that is a, that's the, the gold standard. I mean, you really can't get any better than that. It does put strain on the blowers. So you want to make sure that the unit you're choosing allots for it. And then you will also notice, just as you said, that will reduce the CFM output that the unit can, can do because it has a harder, a tighter medium to blow through. So you want to include that when you're figuring out that unit and, and, and like I said, crafting the final size and, and what it's being used for. You want to look at uh, what its potential will be if someone decides in one year or 10 years to put in a HEPA filtration. Um, how, what, how's that going to affect the system overall? I think that was all of your questions. Did I miss one in there? No, that was all of my questions, or at least I, I think it was. And, and there was this interesting thing that I was talking with some people from, you know, out west where they're having the wildfires and they were talking about using their ventilation systems and putting in the higher HEPA filtration in an existing system just for those, you know, two or three weeks when they have a lot of particulate matter. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I, I thought, oh, that's kind of a really interesting, like they don't need it all the time, but maybe for two mm -hmm. or three weeks they need it. And I, and I wonder if we'll see that a little bit more, you know, where people have seasonal allergies and, you know, it could just be for three weeks when ragweed is blooming or during cherry blossom season or something, if we'll start to see, you know, people mm -hmm. using HEPA filtration in an ERV system mm -hmm. it, for just a very small period of time, you know, w with hopes that that's, you know, not going to overtax the blower and everything, but that might, you know, might work out for, for, for working on it. But you and I also worked on a project. Oh, you yes. I just want to jump in on one thing. Now we don't have a lot of experience with this, but here's something I am recommending more and more. A, especially on second floors, or if there's a third floor, even if we have sized the ventilation system and are planning on running ductwork to the bathrooms, I am now recommending that we see specific exhaust fans just for those bathrooms. Basement floor, if the basement is finished or the first floor, not necessary. But once we get to the second or even a third floor, we'd love to see exhaust ventilation systems installed separate from the balanced ventilation system always there as a backup if we need it. That would be one point. The other is you can buy good air purification systems that are much less expensive. Because remember with a HEPA filter, many times you have to change that every six months. So it's not just buying it and you're, you're free to go. You really are on the hook for this because it will fill up and the medium is so tight uh, that they need to be exchanged far more frequently than some of the other you know, mediums that we have available to us. So another idea is enjoy the filtration that you get from the unit itself, uh, but then use an, an, you know, a three or $400 air purification system can be installed. That's now just scrubbing the air you know, on, on its own schedule. We're not expecting the HRV, which its main job is certainly to provide some air, infiltration, uh, air filtration, but it's just to add, add exchange. We want the exchange. Even the benefits of energy recovery or heat recovery are just a bonus. The main goal is that is that we're bringing fresh air inside the structure, uh, and the only place, the only manufacturer of fresh air is Mother Nature. So we've got to get her involved. We can tweak it and make all these other things uh, easier for us to stomach, but for the most part, its job is fresh air. 
if we really want deep, deep uh, filtration, it's, it's not something, again, we've had a lot of experience with, but I'm aiming towards that because then it can let the, the vent system do its main job, which is exchange, and then something else can be parked in any room you wish to provide you know, the higher levels of filtration that, that might require, that room might require. Right. And that's a really interesting point. Um, and actually it ties in right to where I was going um, with what I was going to say, which is that you and I worked on a project where it was a brand new home. And even though we worked really hard to cut down on, you know, VOCs and the foam that we use, we use very little foam, you know, we used a lot of, you know, um, natural materials and everything. The homeowner mm. still had a, an allergy to or a sensitivity to something that was in the house which mm -hmm. you know when you're talking about filtration and in that house we actually had gone up in the system and we were already kind of over ventilating and we were trying to get rid of a lot of what we might see in brand new construction of off-gassing of literally anything that you bring into your house you know your cabinetry mm -hmm. your flooring your sheetrock the wood studs the insulation in the walls the paint that you choose i mean there can be so many things um you know there's formaldehyde in brand new furniture i mean and people don't mm -hmm. think about those kind of things so um, interestingly enough on that project, we talked uh, about a lot of things. We did different ventilation strategies. You came in um, and, and did uh, a bunch of things with us uh, to help them with what was specific to them going on. But we can't control all of those things with the potential filtration that might be available from the ERV either, right? So right. like the ERV can't, and correct me if I'm wrong, can't handle VOCs, right? So you need some different type of filtration system that handles a VOC, especially if the VOC is inside, not outside, right? So it'll exchange the air, it'll get rid of some of the air in there, but you know, where where does a charcoal filter come in that makes more sense? And that's not part of a, you know, a, an ERV setup. And so, you know, have, have you found, you know, as your recommendation, is to put you know different air purifiers in there is sometimes are they they're site specific to what might be going on in in a certain house absolutely we'd have to be careful uh so back to your question on vocs then it's it's the it's the mantra dilution is the best solution you know at that point we don't know where it's coming from how much it's coming from is it in the eastern you know is it in the morning early morning the sun's rising and as it's baking the side of a, of a of a wall cabinet, you know, are we getting an increase in VOCs, a plume uh, of of increase then, and then it's pretty much you know uh, reduced throughout the rest of the day? I've learned it's it's really hard to tell. So your goal then is to see the cumulative, you know, VOC uh, ranges, and then decide that's going to help you figure out how much uh, dilution you need. And in that case of that home. We had them running an already oversized system on Boost 24-7, which the goal was, you know, just again, trying to bring Mother Nature in to reduce the concentration of whatever was affecting them. Uh, and trying to find that specific item would be and could have been nearly impossible because it could have been a culmination of different products or it could have been one, one, one uh, you know, guilty party you know, taking out the whole, the whole group. So the goal there was just to dilute, dilute, dilute until uh, you know whatever is off-gassing, hopefully it was uh, over. Luckily, that story has a good ending. Um, but it 
it could not have. It could have been that, you know, the product that was in there, you know, continued making this difficult for them to live comfortably. And, you know, dilution would have to be an unreasonable amount forever for them. So, well, and it's so interesting too, because it's so personal specific too, right? So, you know, Definitely. one yeah. person having an issue and one person not having an issue or like the homeowner who built a house, maybe they didn't have any issues in the house ever living in there, but that doesn't mean that the next person who comes in doesn't have right. a mild sensitivity to something that they don't know anything about, right? And so mm -hmm. it's so interesting to me to talk about these ventilation strategies and healthy indoor air and, you know, what we're doing in our buildings and doing these, you know, like you said, the with a ERV or an HRV, the energy penalty is pretty minimal to run your system at full capacity for a certain amount of time if you need to do that for healthy indoor air quality for your particular sensitivity to something. So um, as we're learning so much more about this, it's it's fascinating to study it. So so on top of that, are you recommending or are have you seen any of your homeowners have indoor air quality monitors and what are they looking for? Uh, you know, we haven't seen any of the homeowners, um, you know, doing anything more than carbon dioxide, you know, looking at something like that. Those monitors are, are very inexpensive now. Um, we do see some that are doing their own VOC testing and even some monitors that will do radon. Again, these wouldn't be if, for example, when we do the testing for home indoor air quality now, we really send this to a laboratory because the, the systems that have, that are going to, if you're going to use those numbers for anything to, as actionable items, you want to make sure that those numbers are absolutely correct. So we are sent new, brand new vials that are then sent to a lab, which is regularly calibrated. The laboratory figures all the numbers out. It's not some plug-in device that I might carry with me from job to job or like a homeowner might have. I don't think that those monitors are bad and they should be able to just tell you if there's trouble. And it right. usually when there's smoke, there's fire. That's when you might say, I want to then a more, you know, substantive test done, uh, you know, due to my, you know, monitor I bought at Amazon for a hundred dollars uh, it's telling me my radon levels are high or VOC or formaldehyde levels are high, then that might be a good indication to get a better test done, a more thorough test done, um, and then start the process of tracking it down. I want to go back to one thing I don't think I answered in your last question, which is, are we doing and looking at space-specific um, uh, usage and deciding on, on, on the types of filtration we want to use there. And you're right. We do want to be careful. We're not going to treat as a hammer. I'm not going to treat every problem as a nail, you know, that there's, I've got to be, you got to be mindful of what the limitations are and to make sure that you really are solving the specific problem. And it could, like I said, we'd want to then know if there is a problem to begin with before they spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on a, on a purification system or a more advanced filtration system for their HRV. Um, so it does get dicey. We do have to really step back when there's a problem and just, you know, beginner's mind. We start from the beginning. Let's take a look at all the factors that could be affecting them. Um, and it's just, as you said, it could be one client or one homeowner has an, a, a, a reaction and another one doesn't. So uh, even more important to look at uh, 
when I have to study heat loss, that's much easier. Molecules are all the same. <laughs> if they're on Earth, they're all the same. They all do the almost the exact same thing. Humans don't. And so, you know, with indoor air quality, it's not a molecule problem per se, like it is when I'm trying to, you know, create the indoor, an efficient, efficient environment. Um, that's a lot easier than creating a healthy uh, environment for, for humans to breathe. And then you're throwing in subjective reasoning as well. So uh, go on. I didn't mean to step back to that other one, but I want to make sure I, I did answer that, that you want to be mindful of what you're doing and that you're really solving a problem. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally love the jump back and forth in the conversation and when it comes up and it makes me think of 10 more things I want to ask when we do that, you know, which is we often joke that, you know, we design these perfect buildings that are great until you put occupants in them. But in the reverse side of that, we build buildings for occupants, right? Buildings that occupants don't go in are not all that useful, right? So right. we have to take the step back and say, okay, we're building for something specific, which is the occupant that's in it, which is completely unable to be controlled, right? We we can have an idea, we, we can sort of understand, you know, thermal comfort levels of people, you know, their five to eight degree temperature range and, you know, certain dynamics, but mm-hmm. we can't control how someone is going to use their space. You know, we don't know if when they build a house that in 2020, there's going to be a pandemic and all of a sudden they're going to spend all day at home every day, right? We don't, we don't know that, you know, we we don't, but uh, yeah, we know now. And now, you know, does that change the future of building for sure? Because as people are staying home because we need to for the pandemic, we're also seeing a lot of companies seeing increase in productivity from employees who are working from home. They're mm-hmm. seeing a better access to an employee base because they're not site specific. So they can mm-hmm. have diversity um, for people who it would be difficult to, to live in a city, you know, older, older generations taking jobs that, you know, it was there, they were too entrenched in maybe where they live to, to make the move somewhere else, but they're qualified for it. So um, it's really interesting to see, like, have homes now become the new office building and without really change how we're affecting what we do with homes, will A, will they get bigger or B, will they get smaller? You know, will they it just, it's fascinating to me to see where this will go. Um, yeah. so from, from the indoor air quality perspective about it, um, you know, on the BS and Beer show, we started a book club. We're on our second book. We're reading Healthy Buildings, which, um, you know, is all about uh, indoor air quality and the, and the actual, um, the effect of the building on our health, which mm-hmm. hasn't been a way that we've described building to other people. So now we're starting to understand, okay, maybe our buildings do have an effect on our health. So when somebody calls you up and says, you know, I'm having an issue, can you come on and do air quality testing? What testing do you offer for, for that? So in the state of Maine, and I'm assuming you don't go everywhere. Obviously, the state of Maine is huge, mm-hmm. and you, you know, you have a base. But you know, what things are you testing for? Well, I would probably start with, um, or what I do start with is just conversation. You know, what what are the issues that they're having? Um, yeah, are they having again? Uh, they feel like it's almost an allergic reaction. Um, are they feeling like they're getting headaches? 
Um, you know, some people will, will be more feeling like they're not, they can't get over a cold. You know, I had that example not too long ago where it just feels like they're constantly fighting colds. Um, is it simply that odors won't leave? If you burn something, do you still smell it in the closet a week later? You know, that, you know, so it really could be, uh, or some people just might have a concern that the indoor air quality is not good. In other words, they're not getting great indications that it is good. They, they ne don't necessarily think or have an indication it's bad, but they don't know how to judge that. Um, and, and humans are remarkable in that we can desensitize ourselves so quickly. I can burn a salmon and I'm cooking and within 20 minutes, it doesn't smell that bad. My wife will come home and, you know, the house is intolerable, you know. So once you're in a space, we, we, we lose that sensitivity to it. So we, we are not necessarily good judges of our own indoor air quality. Uh, so we would look at all of those options, try to decide if testing is necessary. I mean, testing isn't cheap, but you could be able to test nearly everything in a home for well, I, I shouldn't say, but you know what? We could usually test on entire, every bit of VOC, mold, uh, uh, formaldehyde, uh, certainly under $500 if it's a you know, reasonable size home, and it's depending on how many test kits we need or something like that. So I'd say $500 could be more. But then we can test and we can get real deep into, we can do different types of mold testing. They can determine what kind of uh, bacteria are existing in the air. We can do surface testing. Um, we can do different types of viruses even. I warn about this because it only determines what's right where I test. So it's a, I can test a table, for example, but only those few square inches. It doesn't mean that the entire table is clean or that the entire table is dirty. So uh, we, we haven't done much of that type of testing. It's been more uh, what's going on in the air overall. So you wanna be able to test and then extrapolate, you know, how, how overall is the home performing compared to other homes? Um, so we wanna look at older homes should perform better than new homes, right? There's a lot going on, high concentrations of nearly everything in a new home. Uh, compared to an older home that's been around for a while. So that would be, so first would be an interview process. What's the problem? Do we have testing for this? You know, not always. And, and uh, we'd want to make sure that if it's a problem that I'm not positive can be solved by testing and they still want to test, again, it can give us some bit of the a piece of the puzzle. Uh, but it doesn't mean we're going to hit a home run after a test is done. It's not quite like a COVID test. You either have it or you don't. Um, some of those things can be tested that way. Certainly, like I said, formaldehyde, we can see easily if the, the levels are too high. Um, but like I said, homeowners can be subjective on what the, what the reaction is to something. So while formaldehyde levels for me might be normal according to the average in a, in a, in a typical home, but for someone else that might be uh, too high of a concentration. So just because you get the test doesn't mean we have all the answers. Uh, but that's what, this, that's what the sequence would be, is find out what, what's going on, determine if testing is necessary. And then uh, we also then include the blower door test as well, because I'm, I, I want to see not only the, the levels in the home, but I want to see what the exchange rate is, you know. Um, and, and that can help me determine carbon dioxide levels, which is another thing we test. 
see, uh, you know, how easy is the air being exchanged in the home? Is it simply a matter of, of a dilution issue? Or is there truly something that's off-gassing and, and causing them some heartache? Or mold, for example, do we need to track down a moisture issue uh, that some of the materials have been compromised and have, you know, just sort of given up? Um, I mean, one thing I, I have learned is most of the things, take a bathroom, for example, the reason we don't have more rot and mold in our homes is because most of the products we apply have poisons in them. You know, the poisons inhibit the mold and the bacteria and the mildew and things like that from growing. And, uh, you know, if you have a, already a high moisture load in a home, uh, it's just a matter of time before the poisons have off-gassed and give up. And now you're dealing with the raw material, which most of the time mold can grow on nearly anything that's in our, that's in our home if the, if the conditions are correct. So uh, that's a, that's a double-edged sword. We, uh, we don't have a lot of mold in, in, in most of our homes, thank goodness. Uh, but the reason why is not because we're doing anything particularly fancy with the way we've designed them or used them. It's just simply that most of the products have you know, chemicals in them that inhibit mold growth. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that right there, which is, um, one, we have no idea what goes into the products in our home, right? This is that, is that, I mean, we have some idea, you and I, we right. <laughs> have some idea, right? Because we're really interested in this. And so now all of a sudden we're looking at some of this data and what's in here and how do I specify a product that might not have certain things in it, et cetera, to, to build a healthier environment. But like you said, a lot of these things have mold inhibitors in it, which is great until it's done off-gassing, you know, it's great until it's done. And so, you know, even as an indoor air quality or an indoor monitoring system, I usually recommend to you know, new homeowners to have, um, and you can get them at, you know, Walmart, Amazon, really anywhere is just the little humidity and temperature sensors. And I just mm -hmm. say, Hey, you know, get a couple of these things. They're like five, 10 bucks each, put them in a couple of locations and monitor the relative humidity and the temperature in your house. Right. Because, you know, maybe we've started out really good in the beginning. We've added a balanced ventilation system and we've used a lot of products that are lower in a lot of the negative things that we find in the building industry. Obviously we can't mm. eliminate all of them because there's no way to get rid of all of that. I actually um, have been working with a really interesting homeowner um, who has a, an allergy to petroleum based materials. So we tried to cut out anything that had petroleum in it and it is not possible to get rid of everything, but we got rid of as much as we physically could in this mm -hmm. structure, which was a really interesting process for me. Cause I'm like, Oh, all of a sudden we're looking at every single product, every single thing that comes in here and going, okay, is there an alternative to this? If there's not an alternative to this, how little of this can we use? Right. Mm -hmm. So um, mm -hmm. that was, that was just a super cool project because yeah. I'm now interested in, you know, what's in literally everything that goes mm -hmm. uh, into a structure, but say we've done a good job that's still not enough to deal with occupant in a space, right? You know, so a new house for the first year or so is going to dry. It's going to have an excess of moisture loading, right? Mm -hmm. And so part of some of the issue um, 
one in the house that, that we had previously was it was finished during cold season where you're not just mm-hmm. going to open the windows and let it, you know, breathe where, you know, we have lots of shoulder seasons where the windows get open and lots of fresh air in and out. Mm-hmm. You know, the surface temperatures are all the same, relatively low risk for mold, except for in basements and stuff. But um, that we we have to remember what, you know, so I always say like 60% relative humidity in the summer uh, and 40%, no higher than 40% in the winter as just mm-hmm. kind of this baseline to to keep track of what's going on in your house. But, mm-hmm. you know, it was Maine and we had a particularly humid summer this year, right? And we didn't have overly high temperatures all the time. And so mm-hmm. it got a little kind of sketchy, like, should I close all of my windows? Like, yes, the safest, um, and I did a podcast with Nikki and Nikki's phenomenal on, you know, dehumidification. And she's like, the safest thing is to close all your windows and run your dehumidifier and never have it above 50% and all this stuff. And I'm like, that's probably the safest thing. But the reality is we have occupants, right? So what the safest thing is and what they actually do, you know, definitely might vary. Yeah. So, so, you know, for me, it's so interesting that even when you put all the parts and pieces in place, that still may not be enough. And so, you know, as a simple, just indoor checking, like at a minimum, like have a couple of relative humidity monitors because moisture is the bane of every home's existence, whether it's on the outside and how you do your details to shed exterior water from the building or whether it's trapped on the inside. And you said something earlier, which is that you do a blower door test, which I super appreciate because I think one, every contractor should have access to a blower door and know how to Mm -hmm. use it. Mm -hmm. And two, that we aren't doing that. So in the state of Maine, and I'm sure there are other places in the country who are also not doing this, but in the state of Maine, we are, the towns who have adopted it and the places where they are using the code is still on the 2009 energy code, which allows you to do a visual inspection. Mm -hmm. But our building materials are getting better and tighter and the hearing, you know, all this market research, like, you you know, you have to seal up a little bit tighter, but then not doing a blower door test. And I know for, for me as a perspective, cause I'm a HERS rater and I've worked with, you know, the, my parent company who's doing this in Massachusetts too. Uh, and everything is, they're not seeing balanced ventilation as a, as a rule of thumb, right? So maybe they're working with supply only or exhaust only ventilation. So maybe somebody has at least provided some form of ventilation to the space. But in those cases, if you don't have a timer switch or something else, then that is completely reliant on the occupant of that structure to use it, right? So if you haven't done a blower door test and you don't know how tight the structure is and you haven't put in some kind of timer switch that maybe uses the bathroom ventilation on a certain timer to exchange air and pull it in from other areas of the building, um, then you're then you're you're still not addressing an indoor air quality. So so I thought it was really important when you said we do a blower door test because maybe the issue is just a dilution issue, right? It might just be that the house isn't getting enough indoor air quality for like a fresh air, not indoor air quality, an, enough fresh air from outside just because of the way that it's built. And we're talking about that today with indoor air quality. Um, but 
we also don't talk about what that does to our structures too, right? So if you have exhaust only or supply only, are you forcing some of that into the structure of your building and reducing durability? So you were going to say something as I uh, was rambling on there. Of many of the things that we're talking about, Dilution really is the main secret. That, that client you and I were just re re referring to, if I could have gone in and cut the entire roof off the house, problem solved, right? Right. Uh, they, she doesn't have a problem. They didn't have a problem. They walked out their front door and sat in the, in the lawn chairs on, their, on, on the front lawn, no problems. So we know this doesn't classify for people that have allergies that might be caused by outdoor you know, pollutants, contaminants, or Correct. allergen. Correct. So that, no, filtration, is, you know, more dilution isn't going to be the secret there because the, the actual you know, cause for the, the issue is the trigger is outside trying to come in. So that in those cases, which are not many of the ones that I get calls about, are people that have, a, 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 you know, a ragweed allergy or something. It doesn't mean that we don't deal with that, but most of them are based on, uh, an indoor air quality problem, mold, VOCs, things like that. And in those cases, dilution is really what wins. That if they go outside of the home, everything's fine. It's when they're inside the home that there's trouble. And um, so I wanted to bring that point up just to remind ourselves, it's not that many times anyway, it's not that the, the, the goal is complicated. We know how to get there. But like I said, I can't just cut the roof off everyone's house. Uh, and then put it back on when I want to. You have to sort of create some happy medium where sometimes it feels like the roof's off and sometimes it's on. So that's what we're trying to do is, is uh, control the opening and closing of, of the, the holes in the house to create that dilution. In your case, as you mentioned, uh, in terms of using exhaust only, uh, it certainly is better than nothing. You know, I had, when I first started, I had someone tell me that and I never forgot it. That uh, you know, if, if we can't win them, we can't get it all. Well, we'll get something. And some areas will be more ventilated than others. You know, that's that's how it goes. I mean, that's really the case. Could be for a balance system. I mean, it's hard to say that I'm I'm exchanging exactly the same that I should be everywhere in every square inch of a home. I I know that's not possible. You're just doing it better than an exhaust only, which is then better than doing nothing. So we're trying to you know provide that. Uh, that recipe for success for the homeowner. Um, and so you're right, doing a blower door and, you know, and installing a, 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 an unbalanced or an exhaust only ventilation system, um, you know, again, it would get a little tricky. Uh, so my recommendation, anyone doing it that wants to do this kind of work is a blower door is always a great number to have. It, it's not gonna solve nearly everything, nearly anything or everything, but it will be, again, one of your, it's an important tool, you know, um, and, and, and putting together a plan for that homeowner. So I think it is vital to have it. And then, like I said, I, I don't want to uh, minimize doing an exhaust system because it's certainly better than doing nothing. Sure. You know, so. Absolutely. Like, I, yeah. 
you know, reading this healthy buildings book has just brought a lot into the forefront too, which is, you know, the fact that we spend 95% of our time indoors, that even when we have ventilation systems, we're still compounding whatever, you know, might be an issue because we haven't gone outside and gotten, you know, that jumpstart in our lungs of, you know, deep fresh air, whatever. Um, you know, but also that they've done studies too in, you know, uh, and, and in some of what I'm, reading, but I think it's applicable in our homes now too, for all the things that we've been talking about, but there's a direct correlation to the ventilation that's provided and your health and cognitive function too, right? Like, is it a CO2 issue, right? You, everybody, maybe not everybody, but a lot of us have been to a conference and there are a hundred people in the room and it's after lunch, right? We're all super tired. We can't figure out why we're so tired during this presentation, right? But it's just a, an overabundance of carbon dioxide in this room, you know, and you think about it in this conference, like, oh yeah, they just crammed a bunch of people in there. But if you have um, a room, so, you know, even a work from home environment, maybe you've changed one of your bedrooms into an office and you go in there and you close the door so that you can be at work, right? This is this space that you've created. Well, now you're in here for, um, well, you could say eight hours, but hey, this is COVID. So more like 12 or 14, right? So you're in this little room for 12 or 14 hours. And if there's no ventilation in this space, then you might have a really increased high level of carbon dioxide in the space. Mm -hmm. And so that could be what's you, yeah. you, you definitely will. I mean, let's just, you definitely will. You go in a room, you close the door, you stay in there all day. It's good. The window's not open. The carbon dioxide is, uh, um, but it's the same thing that we also don't think about at night in our bedrooms is there can be a lot of things. Um, one, you have one or two people in a room, you close, most of us close the door, right? This goes back to an occupant thing. Maybe you sleep with your door open, but I think a lot of people probably sleep with the door closed. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have specific ventilation in that room, then you know that you're you're going to have a spike in carbon dioxide. But a lot of people also like their bedrooms to be cold. So now we're reducing the temperature, we're increasing the carbon dioxide, and we're reducing the ability of that air to hold moisture. So now we have a condensation issue either on our windows or on our walls or our surface, or maybe your closet doesn't have any heat, so your closet is a little bit cold. And so now we're increasing the potential for mold. It's like all these things that we're starting to talk about now. It's like, how important is it to have, you know, really good indoor air quality for our health? And like you said, you get a call for somebody who just they can't seem to get over this cold that they have, right? Mm -hmm. Well, is that because X, Y, or Z? Or, you know, we're in Maine and we're headed into heating season now, right? And it's expensive to heat a home. And sometimes mm -hmm. people will, will go around, cut corners, put an extra sweater on, put another, you know, blanket on the bed not realizing that reducing the temperature in the overall house could be creating a mold issue somewhere else and you know having an even bigger impact on their health because now they're paying healthcare costs to go to the doctor and you know get cold medicine because they just repeatedly keep getting colds you know it's just so many things to think about with indoor air quality building science healthy buildings both the building itself and the people who live in it because like I said we design buildings for occupants and we have to remember that. 
that would be a key uh, a key element. And we're getting better at it. Um, we're getting better at it. Yeah. And yeah. so I think the last thing I want to ask you, because of course I don't want to keep you forever, this uh, is specifically about balanced ventilation. So, so we've been using together a lot of Brone systems. That's kind of where we've landed. It's sort mm -hmm. of a comfortable middle ground between the Cadillac of systems, which would be your your Zender, right? Mm -hmm. The every bell and whistle that you could possibly do, and the um, kind of hybrid, smaller, maybe um, either exhaust only ventilation or the the Lunos systems. Although, mm -hmm. really, for the for the Lunos to I think actually work well, you end up having a whole bunch of them. And so then at that point, I think the only real valid reason for using that system would be because you can't get ductwork somewhere. And so I am sure, because even for me, I've occasionally made things that Bo's gone, how are we going to get our ductwork through there, Emily? Right? Okay. We're not all perfect. Right? right. I, I admit... <laughs> I admit my failings, but um, so I can see how a Luno system might work in a, right. you know, a location that ductwork is just, you know, not going to happen. So right. was there any other reason that you sort of landed on the systems that you like to install? Um, in terms of the brand or configuration or both? Both. I'd say, I mean, we've just... Uh, we liked Venmar for many years. That's the Canadian company who still, as far as I know, make the Brone system. But as they're in the U.S., it's it's sold as Brone, and you can still buy the Venmar brand in in Canada. I've found them to be innovative. They're long-lasting, uh, and fixing them is very easy. Uh, we get to use ductwork that's readily available. Um, I get, you know, for the higher-end models, I get great ratings. You know, in terms of how many kilowatts per CFM. I can have options for filtration. Um, I like the simplicity. I like the uh, their workhorses. And I like for the higher end ones that they can compete with the Zenders. I mean, they can compete with some of the best brands out there. And we don't have the costs. You know, that's why I would love to install Zender, but I have, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a difficult uh, sell many times you know let's be honest they're just expensive you know because of the proprietary ductwork which i would love to use but uh you got to at the end of the day we're talking about exchanging air we don't need uh the fanciest of ductwork to do that so we know we can provide a good system with the basic materials that we have uh, so brone life breaths another good brand uh fantech makes some great units We've, again, stayed with Brone because they seem to be more innovative. They're coming out with a new AI series that's uh, doing some of its own testing of the indoor air quality and determining dilution rates by itself. Sounds a little frightening, but at the same time, I would love some, you know, a little bit of help uh, in terms of, uh, of doing some of the monitoring of the room because once I'm gone, kind of up to the homeowner at that point. It'd be nice to have someone in their corner it's the beauty of our artificial intelligence. It never gets tired. It never gets bored. It doesn't charge any more for its labor. It never complains. And if we give it you know, a, a, a instructions, that it'll maintain that. So uh, for the brand, I'm not saying that that's the best brand. It's just the one that we seem to have landed with and are comfortable with. And in terms of exhaust, we probably early on did 
you know, 80% exhaust only systems compared to 20% balanced. That was 10, 15 years ago. So many people weren't that comfortable or aware of, of the importance of balanced. Uh, we didn't have the 2009 IECC code in the state of Maine then. So, you know, the discussion of ventilation was roof ventilation. That's the, that's the only, you know, where I could get with, with a lot of uh, homeowners or contractors. Now it's becoming more, you know, uh, commonplace. Uh, it's easier to have the discussion of the importance of it. And um, I mean, now more than ever, so in terms of balance, I don't think once anyone really looked at the, at the facts, I don't think anyone would disagree that it's certainly a better system. It's just more money and it's, it's more time and more materials to do it correctly. If you're gonna do it, you do wanna do it right. Um, and, and that can cost money even in a new home, you know, where we have, when you design, you're, you're selling yourself short. When you design a home that I'm gonna be doing a ventilation system in, you cater to us. Um, you know, and so I, I appreciate that. It makes it a lot easier, but we're still looking at $6,000 for, a, you know, a good system. You could get something less, um, but we would lose the efficiency of energy recovery and, and pay more for CFM per watt, that sort of thing. But, uh, and they can get to $7,000. I mean, bigger spaces need a lot more work. And if the framing isn't, you know, let alone how nice it is and easy to, to, to size it, on a blueprint um, in, in, in terms of installing it is, is really where the hard part is. We've got to get the vents where they're supposed to go. So we like to try to go the furthest, you know, as so I'm looking at a room, I want the duct supply duct, for example, to be the furthest point away so we can get some flow. If I put it, if you can imagine putting it right over the door, well, I've short circuited the whole system. You know, I want something farther away to just allow the, the a nice exchange, a nice flow. You know, that's how you're looking at this, is how everything flows together. So um, exhaust only really falls short of you know, what I'm explaining to you. It's, it's this utopian design of great flow in all rooms and this nice exchange and filtrated rate. You know, you just don't get that with an exhaust system. But now we're talking maybe a $500 setup with a timer switch uh, compared to 6,000. So again, something is better than nothing. Um, and you can do multiple bath fans. We can have timers that run multiple locations. I mean, there's some good options available if a homeowner uh, cannot or does not want to pay for a balanced system. So either meets code. And um, again, Red Calc does not ask you if you're doing balanced or exhaust only. That's the exchange rate. Uh, that it's asking for. And I'm glad they did because I, I again, I would rather uh, have options for both clients, you know, so, uh, you know, both options for a client. So they know if you're not going to, if you're not willing to spend 6,000, well, you're out of luck, you know, there's no, no choices for you. So that's where exhaust can come in. And, um, you know, again, you can get creative with that as well uh, for only a little bit more money. So that would be my answer for the types we use and and why we, we we're doing more balance now than ever yeah and i i say this all the time i have a totally unpopular opinion that you know what some maybe not everybody can actually afford to build a single family home right so construction right. costs are just really expensive right now and mm -hmm. i know it's the american dream but it's not an asset if you have to borrow money to buy it it's a liability and if you can't afford six thousand dollars so you know the the 
new normal, right? The new affordable house um, in the market or in our market, right, is 400,000, which means that $6,000 air infiltration system is only about 1.5% of the total yeah. amount of money that you're going to spend, right? And so, um, like a small amount when you it, look at it that way. There, it seems right. like a really small amount when you look at it that way. And it's part of what I like to go through with the education process with our clients, which is there are some things that I can't fix, that I can't do right. later, that I can't help you with. And, you know, for me, health is super important. And, you know, especially in this last year, it's become even critically more important, both the health and the durability of our buildings and mm -hmm. the health and of the occupants that are in there and the cost of healthcare, right? I mean, people are spending at least $6,000 a year in healthcare costs, right? Cause it's just really expensive for healthcare. And so if we can cut down on the amount of times that we have to visit spaces because we can use our buildings to help improve our health, I think that's a conversation we should start having. And again, you know, I get kind of smacked on the hand when I say, you know, uh, that, um, you know, there are some costs that I, I shouldn't be asked about. They should just be, if you're building a house, this is kind of the barrier to entry. Like this is where mm -hmm. you've got to be. And some of that is with in our climate zone six and climate zone seven, you have to build a house that has better insulation and has lower air infiltration and has a ventilation system, right? If you right. want to successfully live in the state of Maine and not freeze <laughs> or not spend an incredible amount of money. Cause the other thing that I can't control, right? I can control how many BTUs roughly your house is going to use based on mm. average costing. Right. Mm. And the energy penalty for a ventilation system is very low. Right? right. That was always the thing that people say like, Oh, if you're going to overventilate your space, like what's the point of this? And it's, you know, it's, it's very low penalty, um, for, for, mechanical ventilation you're right um but that you know i can't control what the fuel oil cost will be so like right now it's it's low right we're, we're seeing pretty low it costs is. yeah very low costs but i know when well, i don't know if it was back in 2007 2009 it was more than five dollars a gallon right and that was not affordable for people who need to put 200 gallons of oil into a tank you needed yeah. to come up with kind of a lot of money right yeah. that's a big a chunk of change that was terrible it was terrible a really yeah. really hard time so what i can control is a reduction in your energy usage and an improvement in your healthy indoor air quality especially as we're spending 95 percent of our time indoors whether it's indoors at your house or whether you go to the office every day or whether you work in a big factory building or wherever it is you are if, if we're not getting outside for enough amount of time during the day, we're not getting enough healthy indoor air quality. And, and it was really interesting to see some of the numbers that your, your exposure risk. So, so, you know, if you live in a city that has poor air quality, your exposure risk is actually higher staying inside because you're inside 95% of the time, which means that the air in your house is also bad. <laughs> Even if it's not yeah. as bad as it is outside, if you don't ever go outside, you're still, you still have a huge exposure risk inside your house. And so no question it's, it's 
such an important topic. I really appreciate you coming on here. I love working with you guys. Um, you know, Brandon is amazing. So shout out to Brandon. He's great. Uh, he's one of Bo's installers. Uh, we love having him on our job sites. He's just a pleasure to work with. Always, always super kind. Uh, and yeah. so um, I just thought it was time to start talking indoor air quality yeah. more. And you know what? That was what I wanted to talk about. So I appreciate you coming on and entertaining me. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime, Emily. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. And I'm glad you're out there beating the drum uh, for, for the masses. So Brandon and I just kind of had our heads, have our heads down and just, you know, doing the, doing the work in the homes. But it's nice that you're out there, you know, yelling from the mountaintops that uh, this needs to be more... Um, you know, more all encompassing and more, uh, more, we need to be more aware and you being with the homeowners at the beginning of the conversation, it's a lot easier to have those discussions then than, than later. So, uh, I'll always be here when you need me. Thanks for tuning in to the E3 podcast. I hope you guys have been enjoying these episodes as much as I have. I've had some really interesting guests, a lot of great professionals in the building science and architecture and building realm. So thank you to all the guests that have been on. If you're enjoying the podcast, like and share on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or leave me a comment on the website. And if there's somebody you'd like to hear from or you'd like me to have on the podcast, send me an email, emily at matromarch.com. Otherwise, have a fantastic weekend and we'll see you again next week.